Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Previously on the Investor Download Energy Crisis Special. You know, at the heart of why you know, we have this energy crisis, it's not just because of Russia-Ukraine conflict, it's just lack of investment across the industry, full stop. They've been reluctant to invest because of climate reasons, they've been reluctant to invest because of the cost of capital, and now we will have, unfortunately, suffer a period where you have this lack of energy flexibility. And I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but in the short term, um, you will see this inflationary period being a little bit more structural in terms of power prices. But the energy crisis isn't just about underinvestment and rising prices. There's a deeper, darker threat facing the energy industry. But they also need to have energy security so that they're not held hostage by a Russian government with a hand on the tap, um, able to cut off gas. The threat to our energy security and what could be done about it with Mark Lacey and Richard Norse that's next on the Investor Download. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Hanover, a city in northwest Germany, about 90 minutes' drive from Berlin. It's a city with links to big business. Sennheiser Electronic and travel firm TUI the two of many firms headquartered there. It's also a city renowned for its world-class museums and stunning parks and gardens. It has a legitimate claim to be Germany's city in the country. But like many other parts of Germany, it's about to get colder and darker. Now let's go across to Europe. The lights are being dimmed and the heat is being dialed down. This is how Europe's harsh reality looks like. Public buildings in the German city of Hanover have turned off their gas for heating. Hot water won't be available for hand washing in public buildings or showers at sports facilities. It's a summer night in the Bavarian city of Augsburg, but the square's historic facades aren't floodlit and the streets are dim and quiet. Germans have been told to expect further gas reduction measures and increased spending on energy bills. But Germany is Europe's largest economy, and energy experts say more measures will be needed to achieve energy security. Energy security has become a significant problem. The availability of energy sources at an affordable price has become scarce in recent months. The Russia-Ukraine war has upended global energy markets. The price of oil surged over $100 a barrel in hours after Russia launched the attack. Gas prices across Europe soared by more than 30%. Global oil supplies were already very tight. Now we have one of the world's largest oil and gas producers in an active conflict situation, soon to be subject to the most severe economic sanctions from Western powers. This energy price emergency saw average household bills reach a record high last October that keeps growing and could hit £5,000 in April, according to one forecast. Well, the problem is global, the impact has been felt most by Europe. Around Europe, countries are looking for ways to cut energy consumption and fill up their gas stores. Since the invasion of Ukraine pushed up energy prices and sparked a cost of living crisis. In recent years, Europe's become heavily dependent on cheap Russian natural gas. Germany, the European Union's biggest economy, 
historically relied on Russian gas to power its homes and businesses. Up until recently, nearly two-thirds of its gas imports came from Russia. That's according to the Energy Monitor website. Natural gas and its liquefied form, LNG, liquefied because it makes it easier to transport via cargo, is the hottest commodity in the world right now. In Europe, gas prices jumped some 700% since the start of last year, extreme even by the standards of today's turbulent markets. Demand for natural gas is soaring, in part because it's a cleaner alternative to oil and coal. Natural gas is mainly methane, which contains fewer atoms of carbon than make up oil and coal. Burning it releases less carbon dioxide into the air as a result. To the extent we replace coal power with gas power, we reduce carbon emissions by about half. Gas also compensates for reductions in nuclear energy in countries like Germany, where concerns about nuclear power are significant. But it's not just demand for gas that's causing prices to spike. Supply has become constrained too. As war rages in Europe, it's ratcheted up economic sanctions against Russia. In response, Mr Putin has weaponized energy supply. We know the Russian war machine has been fed by and funded by coal and gas industries, and that's making... Europeans and the Germans very wary about uh, supporting it any further. But it's also highlighting you know, how beholden countries' energy security is to, to Russia and to fossil fuels in general. It has been 10 years since natural gas from Russia started flowing to the Nord Stream pipeline, Nord Stream 1, that is. And while Nord Stream 2 has been completed, it is not yet clear if or when gas will start flowing there. Well, Nord Stream 2 is a natural gas pipeline that runs under the Baltic Sea. For years now, the United States has been warning that Nord Stream 2 would increase Europe's dependency on Russia for gas. Vladimir Putin could use that pipeline as a geopolitical weapon of sorts. The good news was last week was that the Nord Stream restarted up at all, but now that news you just reported is that Gazprom is saying it's going to cut those flows by 50%. We know that Gazprom is not a reliable partner. And uh, despite the fact that right now European Union and our member states do receive some gas via Nord Stream 1, we have to be ready that uh, there might be full disruption in near future. That is going to severely damage Germany's ability to get that storage level up to where it needs to be ahead of the winter. In late July, state-controlled Russian gas giant Gazprom announced it was halting another turbine in the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany for maintenance purposes. The further cut meant gas flows, which were already operating at just 40% of capacity, fell to just 20%. That came after the German Chancellor paused the certification process of Nord Stream 2, a 1,200-kilometre stretch of offshore pipeline designed to double the flow of gas between Russia and Germany a massive energy project that took several years to build and cost $11 billion in conjunction with Gazprom. Gazprom produces around 80% of all Russian natural gas. European officials called Gazprom's cuts in Nord Stream 1 politically motivated, sowing the seeds of uncertainty and pushing up prices. And with no end in sight for the war in Ukraine, Europe and the world has been forced to face reality. Energy security is no longer guaranteed. 
And it's a situation that could get worse. Pretty clear, a lot of continental European countries will be very dark and chilly if there was no Russian gas for the next 18 months, two years. That's Richard Norse, founder of Greencoat Capital, a specialist manager dedicated to the renewable energy infrastructure sector and a company in which Schroders owns a majority stake. And he says even Europe's allies won't be able to come to the rescue in the short term. You know, you just couldn't get enough LNG out of the US and then into European pipes to basically make up for a complete absence of Russian gas in the European gas system for at least two, three winters. LNG exports from the United States and other suppliers are slowly increasing, but ramping up LNG trade requires large investments in degasification plants and LNG import terminals, which take years to become operational. As a result, LNG does not offer the prospect of substantial near-term relief. But they also need to have energy security so that they're not held hostage by a Russian government with a hand on the tap, um, able to cut off gas. It's all in stark contrast to just a few years ago, when Angela Merkel, then the Chancellor of Germany, and the EU were cozying up to Russia in an attempt to sow closer ties with the country and guarantee cheaper energy. However, it's backfired spectacularly, leaving Europe in a precipitous position. So, the future of Europe's energy security revolves around its repower EU plan. Its aim is to make Europe independent from Russian fossil fuels well before 2030. But even that plan has its issues. Because when you break up the repower EU plan, which more than 50% of the shortfall needs to come from US LNG volumes... Adding some sophistication to this, the, the problem and you look at the supply of LNG projects, unfortunately Europe will not be able to get that supply from the US in the short term. In fact, they won't be able to get it to, until 2024, which is when you see a significant ramp up in the export capability of the US. That's fund manager Mark Lacey. So, knowing Europe's plight, the fears are that Russia could fully weaponise energy supply and completely cut off gas to Europe to try to gain political leverage as it tries to bolster its storage levels for winter. Society needs to be able to have energy at a price that works for society. I think what, what we will see is, is we'll see people taking steps to effectively replace Russian gas with gas from somewhere else, whether it be the US or from um, the Middle East. Europe has no shortage of other countries willing to supply energy, from Qatar to the US, Nigeria and Algeria. But Russia remains the main supplier. That's because policymakers are finding it hard to strike deals with other energy supplying nations. For instance, Qatar is demanding the EU signs long-term LNG deals if it wants more gas. European nations, led by Germany, have been pushing back over fears the strict nature of the contracts will mean they'll need to keep importing the fossil fuel even after the region aims to curb emissions. And even if they do manage to secure alternative sources, there's also logistical and infrastructure problems to overcome. And you have to be careful with Europe as well. You know, a lot of the Russian gas came on onshore pipelines. The import terminals for liquefied natural gas around Europe are well located, obviously, for seaborne market, but Europe isn't necessarily linked up onshore going from south to north versus Russia coming from north straight into those northern markets. So there needs to be some onshore infrastructure um, investment as well, as well as just sourcing the volumes. These, these are all the challenges that when you step back and look at the problem with the detail at the project level, you realise 
we have so much, a big challenge ahead of ourselves in the EU. So it's far more complex than just turning on the taps and delivering more gas. So think of it as the Titanic's moving around and all you're doing is reshuffling the direction of the deck chairs. The problem is there's no quick fixes, particularly as Europe transitions from fossil fuels. Europe needs to increase its imports of pipeline gas and LNG, at least over the medium term, while it generates more renewable energy and intensifies energy efficiency. I mean, diversification um, and energy security has come to the top of the agenda of government minds, almost pushing the climate part behind in the background. Um, and I do think the climate issue will actually play catch up again. Um, and, and I hope it does for all, many of the much needed reasons for it. But in the short term, energy security and locking in a, a, a various methods of supply, not just in gas, but also in renewables and alternative sources, um, you'll start to see that being rolled out over the next two to three years, because again, there's no quick solution. In the meantime, Europe's struggles means energy security is not just a problem for Europe and the West, it's a global issue. And that's coming up next. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash the investor download. The direct impact of Nord Stream cuts has intensified competition for the very limited LNG cargoes. Given the nature of energy markets and the West's desperation to get hold of supplies, the scramble to fill the gap is turning into a worldwide stampede. Countries in Asia in particular are worried. Utilities in South Korea and Japan are reportedly anxious that Europe will hoard more gas as the Northern Hemisphere winter approaches, driving prices up even further as a result of the highest bidder winning. Until 2020, Europe was a backstop market for cargoes nobody else wanted, but now it's in deficit, so they're competing with Asia. Gas storage levels across the European Union are currently around 64%, according to the Gas Infrastructure Europe, well short of the desired 90% level. And as long as Europe is in deficit, events there will continue to govern Asian LNG prices. As a result, gas prices have become a key driver of global inflation. The effect of soaring prices is not being felt equally across the region. While deep-pocketed nations like Japan and South Korea have the reserves to absorb the steep hikes, developing countries, particularly in South Asia, are struggling to keep the lights on. And as the battle for energy security rages, the fallout could cause war on the streets. Sri Lanka's capital, Colombo, is in turmoil. Tonight, thousands of Sri Lankans reaching a breaking point. Protesters storming the presidential palace, swimming in the pool, working out in the palace gym and occupying the president's office. I'm not wrong in saying this man posted that we have won this struggle today. That struggle fallout from an economic meltdown that's left Sri Lankans without food, fuel and other necessities. In Sri Lanka, the queue for petrol no longer lasts for hours. The wait is now measured in days. Energy shortages in Sri Lanka preceded the total collapse of the country's economy and national government. So the lack of energy security is already triggering social unrest and it's unlikely to end with Sri Lanka. I would touch on the cost of living crisis from Russia that hasn't just affected energy prices. It's obviously affected food prices. And I do think parallel to energy security, I think food security is going to come. The, the thing with food more than energy, believe it or not, and I know we're extremely reliant on energy in both obviously developed and emerging markets, of course we are, 
but food security in, in developing markets is even more important, has a, a much bigger impact on obviously GDP and that cost of living or standard of living against that cost of living than, than energy does. Food security is so much more important for obvious reasons. Energy and farm commodities are interlinked. Natural gas is a feedstock for fertiliser production in Europe. To make matters worse, Russia and its ally Belarus together account for a third of the world's exports of potash, which is vital to the agricultural industry as a primary plant nutrient. Meanwhile, rocketing oil prices are driving a switch to biodiesel in Southeast Asia, further tightening the global market for vegetable oils. That's prompting a change in behaviour from what farmers grow to what governments allow to export as food stocks become limited. For instance, India banned the export of wheat, while Tunisia banned the export of fruits and vegetables. And as the markets tighten, supply becomes more dependent on marginal producers, that is, those who produce a relatively small amount. This increases the risk of food price volatility from extreme weather events. West Africa is particularly at risk, with 70% of its cropland exposed to drought. But at the moment, the policy globally is about energy security and food security. That's the times we live in right now. These are the two priorities for governments. Because both of those prices, if they continue to rise, what's it going to cause? It's going to cause a huge amount of disposable income pressure. And what does that cause? Acute pressure on the consumer and, and, and the domestic user at the end of the day. Which is why there's a scramble among countries to secure their energy supply meaning some relying on older, dirtier forms of energy, such as coal. A recent report from the International Energy Agency said that global coal consumption in 2022 is set to match a record high set in 2013, with demand likely to increase further next year. And European Union demand is also forecast to rise by 7%, as coal is increasingly being used to replace gas due to a fall in Russian pipeline gas exports. Obviously, you understand why they're doing that. They've got no other flexibility, and what they can't have is the lights going out on everyone in the country. It's disappointing to see when you look from an environmental perspective, but I'm assuming it's only going to be very, very short term. You're going to get this window where climate takes a slight back seat, and I don't know what that window is. I don't know if it's one, two or three years. Otherwise, there'll be more countries than just Germany that'll be left in the dark and cold this winter. But where does that leave our net zero aspirations? It's re relatively clear that, you know, you can't just build as many offshore wind farms as you want or enough onshore wind farms or enough onshore solar farms, obviously all solar farms onshore at the moment, um, to, 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 to replace Russian gas in the very short term. So it's a five, five, seven, year, eight year project. The energy crisis and what it means for net zero, that's next time on the Energy Crisis Special. Here's what else investors are talking about. The US's new Inflation Reduction Act has been considered a major development in global efforts to combat climate change. But what is it exactly and why is it so significant? Some of Schroeder's climate specialists, including fund manager Mark Lacey and Greencoat Capital's David Boyce, share their takes on the new legislation, which could slash US emissions by 40%. You can read the full article, The Inflation Reduction Act Explained, the most important climate bill in US history, at schroeders.com forward slash insights, where you can read, watch and listen 
to so much more. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy.